So looking at a page and saying, these are the you know, roughly two to three main keyword phrases that we want to target. Do they appear in the content? You know, is there enough content there? And then on page includes lots of things. It includes H tags, includes alt tags, includes potentially structuring some of the content in list format, but making sure it's all there and that you don't have thin content, which again, you mentioned earlier, where you've got a page that has like one sentence on it or two sentences on it. That's not, that's not enough content. What is the biggest fail when redesigning a website? Not having your SEO team involved. What's the next biggest fail? Not having a qualified SEO expert to guide you through this. Welcome to another episode of Social PR Secrets. My name is Lisa Beyer and I will be your host. I see it all the time. Brands dabbling in and out of SEO. Search engine optimization is what we're talking about. So I invited Joe Laratro to be a guest on today's episode and walk through some of the pitfalls and fails and what to do about it. Joe wrote the book, The SEO Diet. He teaches advanced SEO workshops each year at PubCon, as well as owning his own digital marketing agency, Tandem Interactive. Get ready to tap into Joe's SEO brilliance and find out why SEO is really a PR secret all brands need to know. Welcome, Joe Laratro. Hey, Joe, welcome to Social PR Secrets Podcast. Hello, how you doing? Good. I think this is your second or third time that you've been a guest. And I wanted to invite you because I want to talk about actually SEO PR secrets and website redesigns, because I see a lot of brands doing this right now because technology, modern technology and new design is easier than ever with websites, but then the SEO part kind of gets forgotten about. So Welcome. And let's just start out with that. Like where, where do, what, what are some of the biggest mistakes you see brands making with the website redesign? And so the biggest mistake right now that I'm seeing is where the teams that are working on the redesign are not thinking about SEO. They're not involved in the SEO teams. They're very much focused on user experience, which is a good thing but user experience on a mobile device, which doesn't always naturally lend itself to good SEO practices. So websites that are big with history and lots of traffic suddenly come out of a redesign with half of the traffic. We actually just started a a project on a a large e-commerce site that was doing really well. And then they came out of the, the redesign and all of a sudden they're down 50% traffic and they're looking like, why did this happen? And um, the person I'm working with on a project said that we tried to involve SEO in the beginning and you guys said you got it. And then, you know, look at, look what happened in the end. So it's a very common, it's a common problem and it's, it's somewhat easily avoidable. Totally. I mean, the way that I look at organic traffic is like in the PR world, earned media, and we, you, you know, a brand has invested all of this time and resources in building content and attracting organic traffic, which is typically like super high quality traffic to a site. And then to lose it all, it's, it's not like turning on an ad campaign and saying, okay, you know, we'll just turn it back on. Like it's going to take a long time to rebuild. Right. And it, it also seems like with the, with the website redesign teams that, it's hard, even if you specialize in SEO, to keep up with SEO. So 
what are some like just steps that brands need to take maybe a step back and say, okay, we're redesigning our website. Like what is the first thing we need to do? And like, what's a, a good map roadmap through that process to avoid losing all of this super valuable earned media. And it's today, like, even if you don't redesign your website with web vitals and all these like different, you know, updates happening, you still can lose organic traffic. So it's like, you have to be super careful with the redesign. Yes. So I would say that when we, when we go through a process like this, we've got to have the benchmarks in place, make sure that we are, we've looked at a few months worth of search console for Google, uh, Bing Webmaster tools, looking at analytics and really trying to get a, a feel for where's the traffic coming to the website, not just um, that we're, we've got good organic traffic, but all the organic traffic doesn't come to the homepage. And, and this is a pretty common misconception when you get to sea levels, they think, oh, well, the homepage is where all the traffic goes. It's like, no, you've got product pages, you've got potentially blogs, you've got PR that could be on the site, you know, news releases, forum content. You may have all kinds of content on the website that is actually driving traffic. So getting a feel for that is important. We usually like to crawl the website first and make sure we at least have a backup of the existing site. So we use a, a tool called Screaming Frog and we'll crawl the website and we'll have almost a, what looks like a, an Excel spreadsheet version of the website. So you flatten everything. These are the titles, these are the descriptions, this is the URL, this is the content on the page, these are the images, but it's like taking a website and just putting it on a flat spreadsheet. And then you know what's there. Now that doesn't correlate with SEO per se, but it gives us a snapshot of the website. And then looking at analytics, we can see which pages are acting as landing pages from organic. And then we know that those are pages that are getting a lot of traffic coming you know, on the free side from Google, Bing and other sources. And then within Search Console, we can actually see link maps. So Google does show us how many certain pages in the website and how many links, inbound links that they have. And again, that's a good thing to kind of take into account before redesigning the page that or website that maybe you're like, okay, well, we don't need the blog anymore. We're not keeping up the date. And all of a sudden you see you've got this old blog content that's driving tons of traffic that you don't just want to abandon. So you've got to kind of keep, keep the core assets of the website in terms of SEO in mind. And what advice do you give for, let's just say, balancing out the user experience with, 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 with content and the argument, well, you know, you would have the argument, well, there's, this is thin content you need more content on the page to really attract. So I'm gonna cheat on this one a little bit. Because of mobile first, you can have an incredible user experience and all of the SEO content be further down the page. So it, you can have a, a very good user experience and address all of the SEO components and just do it in a manner that's not in the user's face. So, I mean, we know the screen sizes, we could do the test that basically on a responsive site, when you have a phone, that first page load has the call to action or the desired sales pitch or the phone number, like whatever you really need to get conveyed, you can get conveyed on a, on a phone and then somebody has to scroll to actually get to the SEO meat and potatoes, the internal linking, the sub nav linking, the content on the page. That all doesn't have to be, that doesn't have to take away from user experience. Now, where the biggest problems come is when someone says, well, no, I want a website that looks like, basically looks like an app, 
And all it is is user experience and there's no meat and potatoes behind it. There's no content. There's no good link structure. There's nothing in there that really lends itself to an SEO friendly website. It's just an app. And, and that's a hard, that's a, that's a challenge for the SEO side to convey to the marketing side of a company sometimes that just because you saw it on, you know, these websites, you think that's a great experience. Those websites have huge brains and they don't need to worry about SEO. Like people are going to go there because it's Nike. If you're a, a new company that's selling boat shoes that are waterproof and you don't have a brand, I mean, you've got to build content around waterproof boat shoes. Right. With PR, I think SEO is the same. It takes the involvement of the marketing team, the brand's marketing team to really get involved in creating the content and engaging in, in the SEO kind of journey of building that momentum. Whereas sometimes like with paid, it's a little bit easier to be like, okay, you know, here's the KPI, here's the creative, go get the traffic. And so what, what do you advise brands on the investment of SEO versus paid when a lot of times brands just think paid is going to be the easier, quickest win, but in the the long run, SEO like PR is going to bring the most momentum and return on investment in the long run. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I heard this at this point is probably 20 years ago and it was one of the, the most brilliant ways to think about SEO is that if SEO is a business process, it's not a marketing task. It's not something that is optional. I mean, it's, it's a business process that should be part of all online businesses. So it's an investment in the business. It's not an investment in marketing. So anything that you're doing on the SEO side is a long-term growth strategy for the website. And we're seeing things today where the answer box is still kind of the holy grail. I mean, if you get in the answer box for something, I mean, the traffic that goes along with the answer box is amazing. The answer box, if you're not familiar, is when you basically are the result on top of the regular search results, it gives an answer and then there's a link and the click-through rate on those links are unbelievable. And we get sites that have tons of traffic. Now, tons of traffic for an answer box may not equate to actual business or conversions, but, it's, but it is raising brand awareness. So it's interesting that you said, even when the way we're talking about companies, we're talking about the company as a brand, not just as a company, that the brand investment here is huge. I mean, if, if somebody ranks for, I saw something, I do a lot of work in the, in the moving industry and there's a small moving company up in Minneapolis and they rank on like a, a tariff question between moving across state lines and they get a ton of traffic for it. Very, very low converting traffic, but it's not something that you'd want to take away from the website and say, well, let's get rid of that article because it's driving lots of traffic to the website. No, like we want the traffic to the website. Plus, if for some reason that company decided they want to sell and they show their website as an asset and their website has lots of organic search, that's a, that's a big asset for the company when it comes to the valuation. Kind Definitely. of off topic there. I don't think they're trying to sell. When it comes to like basic optimization, like alt tag and image optimization and things like that, that have, that's just kind of been, in my opinion, just basic for the past 10 years. And then looking forward into like the potential now of this, it's kind of like a little futuristic, but visual search and, and how that's coming along. Like, 
that's one of the biggest misses I see brands making when we do audits together. You know, I just look at like the image optimization is always like kind of like last on the list and gets forgotten about. What is your opinion on that today, looking forward into artificial intelligence and augmented reality and visual search? Yeah, so I would definitely agree that image optimization is severely underutilized. Google Search Console has a component within it that you can you can actually see just the traffic that's coming from image search. And I know, like, one of my hobbies is working on the boat and, like, boat repair, that I'll try to search for something. And for me, to do it visually is much more valuable to try to find the product I'm looking for, and then I go to the website. So I... It's, it's actually quite challenging sometimes to find exactly what I'm looking for. But I did, I did a simple search yesterday that I was very surprised on the search results. We were shopping for visors and basically fishing visors. And you'd think that there was like this great website that would list lots of fishing visors. I think Amazon ended up coming pretty high on the list. But if you go to image search, there's all kinds of stuff that you, weren't, you wouldn't as quickly find in regular search. So doing the basics, you mentioned alt tag. So alt tag is putting some text that matches what the picture is and describing what that picture is, is valuable. And the text that's around those images is also very valuable. But I think that every, every day we're getting better at search. And especially I think on the e-commerce side that, that image search becomes very, very powerful. And looking at like, we're talking about website redesign. I mean, I think like very low hanging fruit in a website redesign could be, you know, looking at, the image optimization and what may or may not be done so that when you do the redesign, all of those images carried over, you know, if they're not already optimized, optimize them because that will feed into the Google image search. And like you said, like more and more people are, are focusing on visual search versus text search. Yeah. And people, I think like, if you could ex- explain like it sounds intimidating, image optimization, alt tags. Like if you don't, if you're not familiar with that language, it almost sounds like programming or coding. But I mean, it really, once you learn it, like if you're, especially if you're a writer or just an assistant content marketer, it's something that is easily learned and applied. It's not something you need to get a certification for. Correct. Again, alt tags, super easy. Text around the picture, super easy. The most advanced parts of image optimization and you mentioned the, the Core Web Vitals briefly before. Today, when we're using Core Web Vitals against a website, they do recommend pictures that are too large to be optimized for the web, which means lower resolution and or lower size. So that actually is part of image optimization in a way. And then there's a component of image optimization that's called XIF data. And EXIF data is where if you're editing the picture, you can actually throw a little bit more information in on that picture, on the file of that picture that says what the picture is about. That's probably the most advanced aspect of image optimization. I don't think that uh, an average SEO or website optimizer really needs to worry about that. But I know that if I were to launch an e-commerce site tomorrow and it was a very specific product, I would take the time to to make sure that I was covering the, the XF data on images. Especially e-com sites. I mean, yeah. their image optimization is usually like zero. Like their file names are, you know, a number and dot JPEG, you know, and no alt tags. So talking about web vitals, core web vitals. So is it a lot of hype? So SEO agencies can get work or is it legit? I've read both. Uh, and how, how, 
how focused should brands be on the Web Vital score? <laughs> okay, so is it all hype? No. Is there a lot of hype? Yes. You know, we've heard for years and years, speed is a big deal. Google, you know, very officially said that they're adding the, the Core Web Vitals reports to their algorithm. So is it something that needs to be paid attention to? Yes. Is it something that we should shut down the website and all other SEO activities and focus on just the speed score and making sure we're passing? I would say no. Um, What's like, what do you think is the bare minimum that's you would consider it okay, even though web, even though the score on web vitals might be saying it's in the red or the yellow, like yeah. what score are you okay with? So the yellows, and I don't, I don't remember offhand, or we've been, we've been, we have a few clients that are obsessed about this. I have a client right now that, that the mobile score this morning came out to a, a 63 and desktop was like a 96. And that was the best desktop score we've ever seen. And the mobile score, it, it, it's just annoying. And they told us that if we can get the mobile score above an 85, that they were going to buy the whole team dinner, like an ice dinner. Kind of a cute incentive. However, you know, not necessary. I mean, we want to do the best we can. But there's just limitations of technologies that are running the website, the server. Like as as much as we want to try to to get a higher score in this particular case, like it doesn't seem like it's going to go much above a 65 unless I go shut all the tracking off and run it. Like turn off. They have Hotjar. They have Orbi. They have Google Tag Manager, Facebook Pixel. Like if I turn all that stuff off maybe it'll make a difference, but then why is the desktop score coming up so highly? But your original question was, what's an okay score? So I'd say an okay score on mobile is probably anything over 50. That's not in the yellow, that's still in the red. But anything over 50, I would say is, is at least okay. And then looking at the scores, making sure that there's the obvious ones that, of things that aren't broken. So for example, viewport. Viewport is something that the average person working on a website wouldn't pay attention to. But if you don't have the viewport assigned, the website is not considered mobile friendly. So that's a, that's a glaring error. And there's a few that are like that, that if I was looking at the Core Web Vitals report, I'd probably be worried more about the, the functionality errors than I'd be worried about the speed. Okay. Can we talk about on-page SEO? And to me, that's very relatable to the PR industry, or at least it should be because it's some of the basics of on-page SEO, if you know what that is when you're writing, whether it's an article or some sort of press con content, that if, if your writer is familiar with it, they can help influence and attract organic traffic and potentially even like journalists searching for story sources. So can you walk through like, what are some of the critical things when it comes to on-page SEO that every brand needs to be doing, especially with their, maybe their news content or their blog content? Yes. So for me, on-page SEO really has three main components. There's the top level pages, there's category pages, and then there's either the specific article pages or if it's an e-commerce site, the product pages. The top level pages, I mean, this is, this is the main nav of the website. I mean, you've got to have good content on them. You've got to have a variety because this is where a lot of the traffic's going to land. So here we've got to have blocks of text. People like saying, you know, 200 words, 400 words, 600 words. I mean, I would say enough text that's explaining what you're, the point you're trying to get across. 
and then there's enough text there that has keyword content in it that you're trying to target. So looking at a page and saying, these are the you know, roughly two to three main keyword phrases that we want to target. Do they appear in the content? You know, is there enough content there? And then on page includes lots of things. It includes H tags, it includes alt tags, it includes potentially structuring some of the content in list format, but making sure it's all there and that you don't have thin content, which you mentioned earlier, where you've got a page that has like one sentence on it or two sentences on it. That's not, that's not enough content. When we hit the next level, it will be a category type page. Category type pages usually are under, are underutilized. I mean, there's not, they're not targeting that content. I mean, it seems like most websites focus on either top level pages or the very specific article pages, blog content pages, and, and nothing, nothing in between. I would say that the, the rules apply, but you could be more specific. So an article page can be a lot longer, can have a lot more content, can have lots of interlinking. Category pages, one level up, should have like a good sub navigation set of links that are trying to, to tighten up where that content is going. So if I had a PR area of a website, I'd want all of the press release articles to be kind of lumped together. If I have a blog area, I'd want all the blog put together. If I have geo-specific or subject-specific, I'd want to try to put some of that stuff together and organize it that way. So again, in, in that way, just kind of hitting a checklist, we've got you know, good titles, good descriptions, good content, good interlinking, and then optimized H tags, alt tags, I mean, that pretty much covers it. What are, what are some resources that you can recommend for writers or marketing teams on writing and, and on-page SEO to learn the, the, the basics? Is, would it be the SEO diet? <laughs> that's, that's interesting. So I did write a book called The SEO Diet. The SEO Diet, it reads like a textbook. It's not a fun read. It's a textbook that I make all of my employees read regardless of what aspect of the company they're working on. If they're doing link building, content development, pay-per-click, social, it doesn't matter. Like I, I want them to read it to get the, the core concepts. But there's tons of guides out there for SEO copywriting. I think SEMrush just updated and released like a really, really nice one. It's very comprehensive. That's a good one. I mean, any of the tools have them. Moz, I mean, big companies, I'm sure like Bruce Clay has got some killer killer old ones out there that many probably updated ones that it, it, the fundamentals really haven't changed much. I mean, the fundamentals are the same. It's putting in the time and effort and then being committed to keeping it going. Yeah. Uh, anytime you're, you're, I would say even the skills for income or content SEO, they haven't changed. I mean, yeah. the, the biggest change to them was focusing more on that answer box content, which the answer box content SEO is, is basically the same as normal SEO, except adding a few more things like the asking a little more questions in the headlines, having the lists that can go in the answers. I mean, just really formatting it better for a search engine to understand, you know, the, the content that's on the page. Okay. Hello. Oh, wait, is this thing on? Hi, it's Lisa Beyer. I just wanted to tell you really quick, I'm launching a course called Modern PR Secrets, and I wanted you to be the first to know. You can check it out at thebeyergroup.com under resources. Now let's get back to this interview. I 
I just want to talk about media mentions and, and link building and give you two examples. You mentioned Moz, which made me think of Rand, who I love, and he now is founder of SparkToro. Yeah. But I interviewed him and we talked about, you know, he's written about it too. Like it's becoming harder and harder, even though media mentions and media links to your back to your site are considered like the most authoritative and most valuable. And we're always trying to get them. So we had one client in USA Today that got the link directly, you know, to the, to the website. I was just quoted in Forbes last week. Forbes does not support links to sites. They will only link to a source's LinkedIn profile. Right. So when one of the things we talked about with Rand, and I just want to get your opinion on this, is that Google is now looking at not just brand like links back to a website, but also mentions. And they look at brand mentions, and that does still influence you're, you're in a positive way, SEO. So like the fact that Lisa Buyer, the buyer group was mentioned in Forbes, even though the link didn't go to the buyer group site versus our, our client that was mentioned in USA Today and that went to the site. So what's your take on that? So we're hitting on what's called entity SEO. And entity SEO was... You know, the first mentions I feel like in the industry we heard about it was really focused more on local. So entity SEO in local is trying to identify the difference between one business and another business may have a very close name and be, you know, regionally close as well. And Google is trying to figure out or assign an entity to that business so it understands the difference between them. And the entity SEO has certainly moved beyond that into the real world. And I, I think there is definitely value of mentions and it being assigned to an entity. So the easiest, and, and I, it's funny, I'm wearing this shirt today that I'm going to use this example, but, but one of my examples for entity SEO is myself because I am Joe LaRatro, the SEO, and my son is Joe LaRatro, the transformer guy. Now, unfortunately today I'm wearing the transformer shirt, so it doesn't, it doesn't work as well as normal. But if you search for Joel Aracho Transformers, you should be able to find a YouTube video or two or something of my son doing some cool stuff with Transformers. And if you search for Joel Aracho SEO, you should find me and the SEO book and some interviews and things like that. So we have two different entities and it's Google's challenge is if, if you post um, a blog post on this, can Google understand that Joel Aracho that you're talking about is me versus my son. And again, that's basically having entity IDs. So because of that, I think it's fair to say that mentions on a website do carry some weight. It's not the same as a link. I mean, a link is still better, but I think Forbes is a great example of sites that aren't, aren't going to link out to places, but they're still valuable sites that Google's got to be able to get some data, some value from that. And even if just passing from like your LinkedIn and your LinkedIn back to you, they'll pick that up. But I like dimensions. And another way that dimensions make sense is what we on the local side used to call citation building. So citation building for local search is making sure that your business name, phone number and address would be listed on websites. And we knew that that counted toward your actual ranking for local. I think it counts less today pretty sure it counts less today than it has in a long time. But again, it, it's definitely, definitely can, can be part of the algorithm. Okay. Let's talk about PubCon. Okay. So PubCon is a digital marketing conference that 
I have been attending, I'm going to say 12 or 13 years, and you are part of the co-creator of it, or how would you describe your role? I am the lead moderator. Lead moderator. Okay, great. So this year we are having PubCon Florida in August. It's going to be the first live conference that I've, I'm attending since the pandemic and you're teaching the master's workshop on SEO. Can you talk a little bit about PubCon and then a little bit about, about what your workshop is going to be? Yes. So PubCon are, we were supposed to have an event in Florida right as the pandemic was starting. So March of 2020. And it was a very difficult decision at the time because the, the timing, I mean, the timing was like right there. I don't, I don't remember the dates, but it was, it was right when things started locking down and Brett decided, you know, let's, let's pause the conference and let's see what happens. And he was also very much pro the in-person value than trying to turn it into an, an online conference. Because it was shut down and because of the time, Brett did decide that he wanted to do some digital ones. So we did a few, I think, very good digital versions of PubCon. But I mean, one of the historic things about PubCon and really where it even gets its name, Pub is not, it, we say it's Publishers Conference, but it's not. It was Pub <laughs> because it was, it was, the first one was in a bar in London. It's really about the, the relationships and spending time with the people and then the content. So having this one in, in South Florida, it's going to be the FIU COVID Center in North Miami, is going to be a big deal. I mean, it's going to be a, there's going to be I think some some red eyes in the room with people like very happy to see each other and a lot of emotional a lot of emotions coming out. So I'm very much looking forward to it. Plus some great content. Now, I've been doing the advanced local training day for the past few years. It's the first time I'm going back to the advanced SEO which means that I have to redo like all of my content. There's tools I used to use that aren't, aren't around anymore. So my side of that is going to be very fresh and I'm doing it with Elmer Booten, who works for Tony Wright and I think it's Wright on UNC yeah. Media out of Dallas and Eric Ang, whose company was purchased by Proficient Digital. So the three of us are going to have a very new presentation for advanced SEO. Yeah, ironically, I'm speaking on the panel with Tony Wright about the biggest PR and reputation management mistakes post-pandemic. Really? So I'm excited about that. So your workshop is going to be amazing. Thank you. Um, very excited about that. So who is PubCon for? Who 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 should attend PubCon? So PubCon is for the people that do the work. Yeah. Um, there's other conferences in the space where the the CEOs and C levels go to like higher companies, but that's not what PubCon's about. PubCon's about teaching how the work's done and very open sharing. So I would say PubCon is for the do-it-yourselfers. It's for small business owners that are you know, potentially doing it themselves. It's for people that need to know more about what their teams are doing. And it's for the teams that actually do the work. I mean, that's the most important. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of agencies, like I'll send half of my staff there. The agencies send a lot of staff. Companies that have you know, internal staff send them, their people web designers come to learn more about what they're doing, make sure that they're you know, building SEO friendly architectures. Mm. Yeah, I always recommend my clients, marketing and PR teams to attend PubCon just to you know, think out of the box and learn what the other you know, 
to avoid working in silos so that PR, SEO, PPC, social advertising can all work together and kind of understand what the other is doing. Even if, even if I don't do social advertising, I still go to the sessions just to kind of learn how I can, how PR can best con- contribute or um, vice versa. And the one thing about PubCon I have to say also is I have not missed one year since the first time I went. And that's how most people are. Like it's the same group, but it builds each year, but it's just like, if I missed, I would be so upset and it is the relationships and it is access to, you know, the speakers, like, you know, you were very accessible. I'm very accessible beyond our sessions. So anybody can walk up to us and, you know, at a bar or whatever, and ask us anything and like, we'll help them. And it continues past the conference, not just when we're there. And I think that's, what's very special about PubCon and Brett and, and you and the whole team have done an amazing job at, at keeping that momentum going, even virtually, like even through the Facebook group, you guys you know, check out the Facebook group for PubCon and you can get a taste of the community there. Yeah. I like to call it the PubCon family. I mean, I, whenever when we start the conference, I say, welcome to PubCon family, because I mean, it really is, it's an amazing group. Yes. And one thing I also want to shout out to Brett and the PubCon team is that they're, they've always been very supportive of female speakers and making sure that there's diversity and that the females are women speakers are getting a very fair chance at, and of having an impact and being part of, of the industry because it still is an extremely male dominated industry. And sometimes it's hard to diversify, diversify with females, but you guys always do a great job at making a point of that. So I'm going to be featuring a lot of the um, PubCon female speakers and female disruptors and throughout the month of July. One last question, Joe, this is about budget and we've had this conversation before. This is kind of my opinion. I see brands all the time throwing money at paid, throwing money at PPC, like, like it's bottomless. The budget is bottomless, but then when it comes to investing in SEO, which I consider in the same category as PR, oh, sorry, there's no budget. So I came up with this idea, like, okay, if you're going to have a hundred thousand dollar budget for PPC, 20% of that should, should be devoted to SEO at least. And what, what are your thoughts on that? Like, I, I always see, oh, SEO is so important. It's a priority, but then there's never the budget allocated to it. Yes. So again, SEO as a business process should have a dedicated budget in terms of what percentage it should be paid search isn't, I don't believe is a fair way to ask the question because I get asked the question all the time of like, what's the right mix of traffic on my website? And the answer really should be ROI. So paid search, if paid search is driving at 10 times ROI and you're making a lot of money and you're happy, there should be an unlimited budget as long as you can fulfill. And if SEO, which doesn't really have an ROI per se, and you can kind of back into it versus the investment, but because it's a long-term investment, it's harder to say, but I think it, it, it's a set budget. And if you're happy with the results and there's room to do more, then you increase the budget. It's just very hard to say that a $100,000 budget should in paid search should have a $20,000 starting budget in SEO. I'm just looking for like some sort of like a formula to, as, as, or a guideline. Like if you look at one of our clients' organic search results, like time on site is, you know, 10 times better than, than paid for organic. And there's, there is criteria you can say here is, here is your return on investment and here's why you should, an argument why you should invest more. So I don't know. I just feel like it's just a, it's one of those things that gets just brushed under the carpet and never gets done. Yeah. 
I, I think there has to be a budget and I think the budget is relevant to how well the company will do from that traffic. So just some like random examples, you know, small, medium businesses that work with us are spending, let's say 2,500 a month on, on SEO. We work with multi-location businesses that can make a lot of money per new business, let's say in the drug treatment facility world. They spend forty, fifty thousand dollars a month on SEO. I mean, it's, but the value's there. I mean, mm-hmm. what, a new client for them could be worth thirty to fifty thousand dollars, where a small local business, a new client might be worth two or three thousand dollars. So, I mean, that has to that has to be part of the formula. But I don't have a perfect formula for it, other than saying start. You got to start somewhere, and then see what what the results yield. And if you're happy, then eventually you can increase. But it never okay. ends. I mean, unfortunately, yeah. SEO is a, is a never-ending investment. That's what I say about PR too. Joe has a beautiful infographic piece that is on, if you're launching a new website, a pre-launch checklist for new websites, um, new businesses. A lot of what we talked about today was on a redesign and SEO best practices for redesign. But thank you, Joe, so much. And we will see, I, I will see you at PubCon in person. And hopefully people listening to this, look it up, pubcon.com. It's August 3rd through the 5th in Miami. Yep. All right. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. listening to this episode of Social PR Secrets. If you like what you heard, check out the book on Amazon or follow our blog at socialprsecrets.com. This episode was sponsored by The Buyer Group, a social PR agency striving to keep our balance in the digital world, practicing public relations, social media, and search marketing, while occasionally drinking a glass of wine or two for the best creativity and results. Thank you all for tuning in. If you would like to get a free chapter of Social PR Secrets, go to socialprsecrets.com slash free.